All right, friends, we're in the book of Kings again, and we're in chapter 3. And Solomon has just established his kingdom, and we're now going to see that he needs to meet with the Lord here. And so this is a wonderful story of God's kindness as he reveals himself to Solomon. But um, we also need to take note of some not-so-good stuff that's happening along the way. So Kings 3, starting in verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. So we're introduced here to almost like an overview of Solomon's life. Um, we're introduced to him building his house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And so Solomon is going to be a builder. And there's going to be many chapters of just going through Solomon's building projects. So we're introduced to that here. We're also introduced to uh, the need for this temple because the people are sacrificing at the high places. And this is a holdover from the day of days of Judges when people weren't going to the tabernacle all the time. But there were these high places where people would go to worship, but they weren't really um, pleasing to the Lord. People were supposed to have one place of worship. And if you go into the book of Moses in Deuteronomy, he anticipates that there's going to be a central place of worship for the Lord. And Solomon's going to fulfill that in the building of the, the temple. But we also are introduced to some problems. It starts off by saying that Solomon made a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh king of Egypt. And this isn't good. It introduces us to the reason for Solomon's ultimate downfall, or one of the reasons, which is his love for foreign women. For um, Through these marriage alliances that he makes, he welcomes uh, worshippers of idols into his home. And because of his love, affection, or lust for them, he ends up joining them in their idolatry, which is his downfall. But we're introduced to that right here. One of the first things Solomon does after he establishes his throne is he makes a political marriage alliance with a woman. Now, one of the things I've been saying is that um, the life of kings is evaluated through the lens of the law of Moses. So if we go back to Deuteronomy, um, Moses said this, When you come into the land that Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set over uh, as, as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many, many horses, since the Lord your God has said, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so here are these commands from Moses that are held in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're meant to know them and kind of evaluate Solomon's kingly performance um, and his heart through how he adheres to this or not. Remember, David said, you've got to keep the law of Moses in the last chapter. And so we're going to, we're meant to know the law of Moses and evaluate Solomon. And so you notice, even in chapter three, when he start, when it starts talking about he married the daughter of Pharaoh, um, it doesn't say, and that was so bad because it says in Deuteronomy, blah, 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 blah. We're supposed to kind of know this and pick up on this. It's not going to hit us over the head often with what we're supposed to pick up from the law of Moses. But 
I'm going to do my best to kind of help out, but I'm going to obviously miss some. But right off the bat, we hear this marriage alliance, and it's meant to make us hear like, oh yeah, we were told when we make a king that he's actually not supposed to go back to Egypt for horses. And now he's not going back for horses, he goes back for a wife, but that's not good as well, because remember the king is supposed to be from among the brothers, and so you would assume that the king should be getting wives from amongst the people of Israel as well, in order to guard the heart of worship. These are supposed to be kings, uh, lead the people, either into faith or unbelief. And the king's wives sometimes will totally take over and lead the kingdom into unbelief. This is what's going to happen with uh, Jezebel. This is going to be what happens with Adaliah where these women who are unbelieving queens l destroy the nation and lead people into unbelief. And so um, this command from Moses that the king needs to be from among the people, and you would think by implication the queen ought to be as well, and to not return back to Egypt because that's the land of slavery, that's the old way, that's like the land of the flesh uh, pair, uh, compared to the kingdom of promise. And and also, Solomon is not supposed to get many wives, which he will, and he's not supposed to amass excessive silver and gold, which he will. And so over the career of Solomon, we have this law of Moses kind of predicting that things are going to go bad for Solomon because he's not obeying the word of God. All right, but we're also told that there's these high places, which explains some things that are going to come here. Now, it does say in verse 3 here, Solomon loved the Lord. Great! He actually had uh, genuine, heartfelt faith and worship in his heart. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statute of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Now this is interesting here. Some people make a big deal of this. The statutes of David, meaning he's imitating David's faith, but it doesn't say walking in the way of Moses here. So there's a bit of a glaring thing. When I think we're meant to hear that a bit. It doesn't say he's keeping the law of Moses faithfully and walking in the ways of David. It just says he's walking in the ways of David here. So he's imitating his father's faith, which is a good thing. It's a heartfelt love but there's something missing. Verse 4, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So he's worshiping, and uh, he's doing his best, but there's something missing. Verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. So this is a grace encounter because there's something missing with the worship, but God still decides to show up to Solomon with this generous offer. What shall I give to you? He comes to be a cheerful giver. He comes to be a generous God to Solomon. He knows that Solomon loves him. It's not perfect and there's problems, but he is responding to this faith Solomon has with generosity. Verse 6, And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? So Solomon responds, and he, he talks a lot, <laughs> but you can see he's honoring God's faithfulness in the past, and he's showing a desire. Um, 
he's showing like many wise people do this this sense of lack in himself i'm reminded of agar who says like i'm i'm not wise enough to even be a man he says i'm still a little child i don't know how to do this and he asks for the ability to do the mission that god has given him he's not just saying well look god's been faithful i'll take over from here you've given david a son to sit on his throne that's great i got it here god he's saying wow you have fulfilled up to this point all your promises and i we still need you and i still need you and so this this is really good this is a faith response it's a humble response it's a needy response in the right way it's need coming with faith to faith that God is able to meet this need, this is a really great response and really bodes well in Solomon and is worthy of imitation in God's people today. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So the prophetic narrator is telling us how God felt about it. We don't have to guess or read into his statements. We know that God loved Solomon's answer. This is how I want kings to behave, to take serious my call and to seek me to be able to do what I've called them to do. Verse 11, And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, though he's kind of already done some of that, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Just pause there for a sec. Remember how Solomon was dealing with these other guys according to their word? Joab got judged according to his word. Shimei got uh, judged according to his word and his faithlessness to his own word. And, and there's something godly about Solomon taking seriously people's words because God turns around and takes Solomon according to his word. All right, halfway through verse 12. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. Jesus accepted. Verse 13. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So this is a wonderful promise. And we're meant to learn from this. We're not, we're meant to set our hearts similar to Solomon did. We're not meant to seek victory directly or honor directly or riches directly. Instead, we're actually meant to humbly seek wisdom, the, the wisdom that comes from faith, from taking God seriously and wanting to please him, and trust that God is able to add to us. So this reminds me of when Jesus said, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. This is God saying that same thing to Solomon. Because you have sought first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. And if you continue to do this by walking as your father David did, I will continue to bless you. Verse 15, then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. That's cool. Often in scripture, when there's dreaming stuff going on, there is this like, behold stuff that happens in there. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. So he's responding to the, the dream, the word in the dream with faith, very much like Abraham, who got a promise from the Lord and believed it. We're meant to see this as Solomon getting a promise from the Lord and believing it. And now we're going to see this wisdom in action. So we're, this, this ends that story of the dream. And now we're going to have this story of the two prostitutes, which is going to display the wis wisdom that God has given Solomon in action, which is going to make him kind of people in awe of him. 
Verse 16, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him, and one woman said, O oh my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in this house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. She rose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, she was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had borne. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. And the first said, No, the, child, the dead child is yours, and the living one is mine. And thus they spoke before the king. Okay, pause there. So we move from this feast to this scene where David, or sorry, Solomon is holding court as judge. Um, kings had many roles. They were worship leaders. They were military commanders, but they were also the highest court in the land. And when lower judges had a problem, they would often kick it up. And so Solomon is the Supreme Court. And he's not like nine people or seven people. It's one person who is the Supreme Court. And what I would guess is everybody looks at this situation where there is no real evidence. It's a she said, she said issue. There's no evidence to determine whose is whose. Um, how do you determine what's right, what's wrong? And, uh, you know, a life is on the line here, a living son and a breakup of, of a mother-son relationship. So the stakes are really high. The evidence is really meager. There's no two or three witnesses here. There's just two people and there's no witnesses to determine before it. So this is a very difficult case to judge. Other people have noted before, it doesn't bode well on Israel that Solomon's wisdom case has to do with there being prostitutes in the land, prostitutes in Jerusalem. Like, uh, it's a sign that all is not well because the, these women aren't married. They're plying uh, a trade that is not noble for them. So it's not the best. There, even though there's like a great wisdom here, we keep catching these themes that there's, there are, are problems, that all is not perfect yet. Um, same way, you know, Solomon is meeting with God, but he's meeting at a high place. He's started off his kingdom with a marriage, but he's married Pharaoh's daughter. Like, there's there's problems. And similarly, like, interestingly, it's a similar theme to, like, a problem with sexuality and women that Solomon's going to be addressing here, but that is going to be kind of part of his problem um, and why there's going to be a breakdown in the kingdom coming up. But anyhow, verse 23, Solomon responds, then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. So this is his wisdom. Because he doesn't have evidence, he just has witnesses. He's going to let the witnesses tell him the truth. And this is interesting. It's kind of like what Shimmy did. He put Shimmy in a position where his own heart got to decide right and wrong by his by his deeds. And similar with Joab, when Joab heard that Abijah was getting, or Adonijah was getting a, uh, he was toast. Joab's own guilt took hold of his heart, and he said, no, I'll die here, and his own words judged him. Solomon keeps coming back to letting people reveal their heart and then bringing justice according to people's own hearts. So he's decided the, child, the living child's going to be divided. Verse 26, Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be my, neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Okay, so hearts are 
exposed and hearts are revealed and the truth comes out by people's responses. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put the child to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And so it's really interesting here. So he gives this answer. The hearts are revealed. Justice is done. And this story goes out. And just look how it impacts the nation, because the nation sees that something amazing is happening with this king it not only raises their faith in god like wow we have a king who can do justice but it would change how people treated themselves because they would have this sense of not being able to get away with stuff right they would perceive that there's integrity in the highest court of the land which they would respond with faith and integrity and i think this even happens in countries like when you don't have confidence in the justice system um you're more likely to get unjust people. But in this case, when people saw the justice system working under the blessing of God's wisdom, their faith rise to it. And this would contribute towards the stability of Israel as well as their ability to build so much. Because Solomon isn't spending all his days fighting battles between people who think that there's room for them to take over the kingdom, he is able to build up the temple of God. He's able to build the king's house. He's able to build the walls around Jerusalem with the stability of justice. He's able to build these institutions. And so, and that flows from his faith in God to do his calling because he believes in God and loves him and asked for wisdom from God to be able to do his job. So these are good. There's little, there's, you know, pre-echoes of things not, that aren't going to go great over time but this is a strong start and this is stuff that we can want to imitate god i want wisdom to do my work as a father as a husband as a pastor in the business place would you give me the wisdom i need in order to help bring the kingdom of god to these areas of my own responsibility i think that's something we can imitate here God might not say, oh, I'm going to make you the wisest uh, husband who ever lived. Uh, That's Jesus. Jesus gets to be the bestest in everything, and I'm happy with that. But I think we know that God is pleased when we ask him for the wisdom to do what we need to do. And this is why I think James says, you know, if any of you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give to you not finding fault. James is very likely thinking about this passage. Be like Solomon. If anyone's lacking wisdom, just ask with faith because you love God and he will give generously to you, just like God did to Solomon. So be blessed, sons and daughters of God, and ask him to give you everything you need in between your ears to do his kingdom well.